You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us now go to the Word of God. We're going to read, first of all, from Isaiah chapter 41 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings in Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Then please turn also to Second Corinthians 1, and we're reading the verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. 
He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I was told that in the regular preaching of the catechism that you have arrived again at Lord's Day 1. So please turn with me to Lord's Day 1 of the catechism. Question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, is there comfort? Is there peace. We know that there is a lot of pain in the world, in our own lives, in the world, and we know that there is a lot of fighting in the world. And sometimes even the church has its share of unrest. So it's a worthwhile question. Is there peace? Is there comfort for the people of God? Well, let me begin by answering the question, and it's an answer you know, and the answer is yes. There is. In Christ. Only in Christ. In Christ there is peace. And I would preach to you about that gospel of peace and comfort this afternoon. Under this theme, our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to Jesus Christ. In uh, Lord's Day 1, we are confronted, first of all, with a probing inquiry. And secondly, we hear a profound answer. And thirdly, we are given a perfect agenda. So we'll speak about a probing inquiry, a perfect, a profound answer, and a perfect agenda. So let's think, first of all, about the question. The question is a question meant for a moment to get under our skin. It's meant to pull back the facade that we sometimes like to to create in front of us. It's a question that wants to just 
open, open up your shirt and look into your heart. Look into your heart. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Now, it's a beautiful beginning. It's a popular beginning. When I was asked that if I cared to do, if I could preach on Lord's Day 1, then I was, I was quite pleased when I, when your pastor told me that. Because this is such a beautiful, and if we're allowed to have favorites, a favorite, a favorite Lord's Day. Begins in a beautiful way. But, if we consider it a little more closely, and if we really open our ears and we open our hearts to the question, then we have to admit that the question is not all that easy. It's not that easily heard. Because, you see, there is an assumption behind the question. And the assumption is that we need something. And the thing that we need is comfort. You see how the question is asked. The question is not, do you need comfort? The question is not, when you are from time to time in need of comfort, where do you go? What do you do? To whom do you turn? No, it takes all of that for granted and goes straight to the question, what is your comfort? The assumption is that there is something lacking in our lives. Things are not as well as they, as they should be. In ourselves, we are uncomfortable. There is some discomfort in our lives. We need somebody, we need something to give us a sense of comfort. Now first, now, maybe it's good to ask, just to stop to, for a moment and ask, what is comfort? What is this thing that we need? Well, comfort is, is something good that takes care of a bad situation. Comfort, comfort is something that will encourage us and strengthen us. So that we can endure a bad, a difficult situation. Now you might say at this point, or someone might say at this point, well, I'm not really sure that I need this thing that you are offering, this thing called comfort, about which you are talking this afternoon. Because I am, I'm doing quite well on my own. My life is, is good. I, if you ask me what, what is lacking and missing in my life, I'd be hard pressed to think of anything, because my life is good. I have a wonderful marriage, I have a wonderful family, wonderful church community, I'm gainfully employed. I don't really know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I have a comfortable life, a comfortable existence. But if we're gonna, we're gonna go, go there, brothers and sisters, then we don't yet really understand what discomfort is. 
Because discomfort is not, first of all, having a broken arm. Uh, discomfort is not having a disease, not, first of all, having a disease. It is not, first of all, being poor or sad. No, those things can cause discomfort and make us look for comfort, no doubt about it. But we should not think that if we have two strong arms, a healthy body, lots of money or sufficient money, and are happy, that we don't then need this thing called comfort. And that we don't need comfort. We still need comfort, brothers and sisters, because the basic cause, the first and the true cause of all discomfort is sin. And that's universal. We might feel sad and miserable when we are sick, when we are sick, or if someone we love dies, but those, not to say that those are not problems, and they must be dealt with pastorally, but that's not the biggest problem. It's not the, it's not the biggest problem we have. The biggest problem we have is our sin. And sin causes us great discomfort because sin leads to judgment. Sin leads to judgment. And if we are headed towards judgment, if we are coming under the judgment of God, then we need comfort. Brothers and sisters, does that strike a chord with you? As, as the, the piercing light of the word is, 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 is focused on your heart today, does this strike a chord with you? Do you admit that you are, are, are a sinful person? And that we're headed for judgment with our sins. And that that makes us uncomfortable and, and makes us very, very needful of comfort, something to comfort us. And, and brothers and sisters, this question comes to each of us this afternoon. This is, this is a universal question. It doesn't just come to some of us. The Hebrew Catechism looks each one of us in the eye. Matter of fact, it's, it's us, each of us asking this question. What about you? What about me? What about I? Do I need comfort? This is a question for the old, the very old. This is a question for the very young. This is a question for the well-off. This is a question for the poor. Makes no distinction, no discrimination. It asks everybody. It's an equal opportunity question. What is your only Comfort. And this is not just a question that we bring out to someone who is on their deathbed. It is not a question for those who are facing all sorts of challenges in their lives. It's a question for the young man. It's a question for the young woman. 
at the peak of life, not just for the old and worn out, but also those who are filled with the exuberance and vitality of youth. Young man, young woman, little brother, little sister. What is your only comfort in life and in death? You see how every word here is important. The Heidelberg Catechism asks about our only comfort. So again, there's an assumption. There's an implication. The implication is that there is only one true comfort. There are many people, many movements, many philosophies, as well as many material things that claim to offer you comfort, but they do not offer you that only comfort, that true comfort, the one, the only comfort. And this comfort for the Christian, this comfort that the Catechism is asking about, is good for life and for death. And that's a good thing. For what good would something be if it offered you comfort while you were living, but left you cold and alone when you were dying? Or what good would this comfort be if it were only there for the moments of your death and not for today and tomorrow and for next year and, and as you deal with all the challenges and the struggles of life every day of every week? The comfort about which the Catechism is asking you is a comfort that helps you today. It helps you tomorrow. It'll help you when you are sick. It'll help you when you are well. It'll help you on your dying day. It's for death and for life. Your only comfort, and it is your comfort. It is yours. God holds it out to you. And so that's the, 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 that's the question we need to ask. Is it? Is it yours? Have you made it yours? Have you made the question yours? And have you made the answer yours? The probing question. Appropriate it, beloved. Appropriate the question, first of all, before we go to the answer. Now, when the church of all ages was asked, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Then it answered and it continues to answer that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Profound answer. Simple answer. When the Lord came with His promise to the exiles, groaning in in the time of Isaiah, the day of Isaiah, we read, we read those, those words in Isaiah 40. Then the words that the prophet spoke, that God spoke through his prophet, the, the opening words as he came to his people groaning in exile were comfort. Comfort. The first word. Comfort, my people. Comfort. Your sins are forgiven. And when we turn to the New Testament, to the letter of the Apostle Paul, the second letter to the Corinthians, Then again, how did he open it? He opened by speaking about comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. And he goes on, he just heaps it on, 
I, I forget, but it's worthwhile counting how many times God, Paul uses the word comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11. Repeatedly. Then he ends, he, he says, he says that through Christ our comfort overflows. You see, God is the God of all comfort. And through Christ we share in the comfort God holds out. When we believe in Jesus Christ and we are grafted into Him by faith, we share abundantly in this comfort, the comfort of God, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And that ultimate comfort that Paul speaks about is the forgiveness of our sins. Now, what does it mean to belong to Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, it means that I don't belong to myself. That's how the answer starts. What does it mean? That I am not my own. I've been set free from myself. I'm no longer in bondage to myself. You see the beauty of how the answer starts. It does not start by dealing expansively with how we are set free from the power of the devil. It gets to that, and it's a very important part of the answer, and we'll talk about that. But that's not how the, how the catechism starts. The catechism says, it's like it says, before you start talking about the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the ultimate way in which we are saved. The atoning work of Christ. But before it gets to that, it says, hang on a sec. you got to admit something. you got to admit something first. That we belong to Jesus Christ, first of all, means that we don't belong to ourselves. Well, maybe that's a little hard to accept. We want to say, hang on a sec. I'm just busy thinking about that. And I'm not sure I want to say that, that I don't belong to myself. Because I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm the one who says what is what in my life. I'm in control of my life, and I'm in very good control of my life. I'm enslaved to no one. But then along comes Eilerberg Catechism, and it says, don't say that. Don't say that. Speak the language of one who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ who has come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't say, I am my own. Say rather the opposite. I am not my own. I belong to Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. He bought me. Now, as you sort of work work this around and you flip it around in your mind that perhaps you might think, but if I belong to Jesus, then I'm not free. If I belong to someone, I'm bound. 
And if I'm bound, I'm a slave. Well, here is one of the wonderful paradoxes, wonderful mysteries, the the glorious paradoxes of the Christian religion. It is only when you are bound to Christ that you are free. And in order to be free, you must be a slave of Christ. Think for a moment about a fish. When is a fish free? A fish is free when it is in the water. A fish is bound to the water. Take a fish out of the water and it begins gasping and struggling for oxygen. And it dies. Water is its element. In the same way, belonging to Christ, being bound to Him, having Him as our Lord and Master, that's our element. That's when we're in a spot, in a good spot. Then we're doing that for which we were created. Man was originally created to praise God in all that he did. We fell from that wonderful height. But when we are bound to Christ, then we begin again to perform our original task, praising God and glorifying Him in everything that we do, living as His image. As we're going to sing, I am, O Lord, your servant, bound yet free. Bound yet free. That's the paradox. That's the glorious mystery. Bound yet free. A humble slave whose shackles you have broken. Slaves without shackles. Bound but free. And I'll offer you as, as my sacrifice, as token of thankfulness and praise you constantly. So our only comfort, brothers and sisters, is that, that we belong to Jesus Christ. Well, how did it come about that we belong to Him? Well, the second paragraph answers that. He's fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ has done two great things for you. He's paid for your sins with His precious blood. And He's broken the power of reigning sin. He set you free from Satan from the grip Satan had on your lives. Then you were bound and enslaved. Bound to the devil, you are enslaved. Bound to Christ, you are free. By his death on the cross, by the shedding of his precious blood, he paid for our sins, underwent the punishment of God's wrath that we deserved. In this way, he got rid of the very thing that makes our lives so wretched, sin, headed for judgment. By his death he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin. From the Lord's Supper form, familiar words. And then he also breaks the power of the devil. You see, we had sold ourselves to the devil. We were his slaves, but by his sacrifice the Lord has set us free from this horrible slave master sets us free from a master who wants to crush you, who wants to squeeze all the joy and the life out of you. That's the only thing that Satan wants to do, make your life miserable. To Put a yoke on your neck that will slam you to the ground 
It's the only thing Satan wants to do. He wants to kill you. But then Jesus comes and He saves you from that. And He makes you a slave of Himself. And He gives you a yoke. A yoke which is easy. A yoke which is light. A burden which is light. Perfect Savior. And not only does He save us from the guilt of sin, He also, as I said, breaks the power of sin. He's a complete Savior, beloved. He saves us body and soul. Yes, also our body and the things we do with our body. The Christian religion is not just something that happens between our ears. The Christian religion is something that comes out the tips of your fingers and touches everything you do. And the Christian religion, faith in Jesus Christ, is not just something for the future, the way, way future. It is something for today. And that's what we speak about in the third paragraph. The Lord preserves us in our salvation in such a way that without our Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from our head. In fact, all things must work for our salvation. You see here that the Lord does not promise that we will never suffer. He doesn't promise that we'll never experience pain. What He promises is that that suffering and pain as we hold on to Christ will never get the better of us. Won't get the best of us, so to speak. Sometimes, we, as we sang in Psalm 23, sometimes we go through the dark shadows, the dark valleys of life. Yes, we do. Absolutely, we all do. We all have times when we are going through the dark shadows. But Jesus is there with us. The Good Shepherd is with us. We may have our questions. We may say, Lord, why? What's going on? Why this at this time? And we may cry our tears, and that's fine. That's no problem. The tears might be burning out of our, between our eyelids and coming down our cheeks. And sometimes we don't know what's going on and we don't understand why this or that happens, just like a child doesn't always understand the way of his parents. But a child looks at his parents and says, I don't really understand what they're doing or why they're doing it, but I trust my mommy and my daddy. And similarly, we don't under, always understand exactly what God is doing with our lives. But we say, I trust. Like Job knelt down and worshipped. Worshipped his God. And so we, in the midst of all the circumstances of life, can worship our God. And that is comfort, beloved This is for our bodies, it is for our souls. The last paragraph of answer one brings that out. By His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. We belong to Him in life and in death. Even when He die, even when we die, He holds, He keeps hold of us. He does not let us go we can be greatly comforted knowing that when we slip beyond the grave, 
we still belong to Christ forever, for all eternity. That eternal life begins today and it goes on forever. I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. We begin today, the joy of the eternal Sabbath. But that's an eternal life that goes through the grave, beyond the grave, forever. As Jesus said in John chapter 11, He who believes in me has eternal life. He didn't say, He who believes in me will get eternal life, will have eternal life. John 11, He said, He who believes in me has eternal life. We have it now already, brothers and sisters. Eternal life is that new way of living. It is being born again. And whoever has that, that new eternal life becomes a new person. By the Spirit, they begin to live for Jesus. No longer do they live for themselves. They say, they confess, they admit, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. And I'm going to live for Him. That's the new life. And the Holy Spirit assures us of it. By the work He does in our lives, by giving our lives new directions, by making us want to live for the Lord Jesus, makes, by making us want to live, to live the new life for Christ today already, and to, to bear fruit, and He makes us want to bear fruit, to be fruitful for the Lord. And brothers and sisters, when we see that happening in our lives, when we see the fruit of faith being born in our lives, even if they are small, Pieces of fruit. Even if it is just the first hints of fruit, we can be very thankful because we can know that the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ is working in our lives and that we are grafted into Christ. Because if we were not grafted into Christ, we wouldn't bear any fruit. Any fruit born, as small as it may be, is due to being grafted into Christ. So, brothers and sisters, are you heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Christ? Then be assured that you have the new eternal life, that you need have no doubt. And witness in your life a desire, a growing desire to live for Him. For that's the point, is it? We don't just sit back on the treasure of our salvation. We don't just speculate and wonder about our salvation. We don't wonder whether we are saved or not. No, we go to work with our salvation. And we work it out. We live it out. And that's the question. That's why, that's why question two asks, what do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? So here we see Lord's Day One become something much more than just some memory work. The comfort we confess is more than something intellectual. It is a new way of life. It is an agenda, a perfect agenda. The comfort we receive from God through Christ fills us with joy. And the question is, what do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? To belong to Christ is a happy, a joyful thing. 
enjoy the benefits of what Christ has done, seize them and go to work with them. With, go to work with your salvation. Bring it into every aspect of your life. Christ has not come to give you a bit of joy and a bit of comfort. He has come to fill you with comfort. As Paul said, that it may overflow. You know what, what it is when you take a cup of water and you keep pouring it, it just overflows. And that's what Christ has come to do with us. To just keep pouring comfort and joy in us that it should overflow. Now what are the three things we need to know? Let's just look at them very briefly, a little bit more closely. As you know, as you know well, and the whole Heidelberg Catechism is structured on it, and it is from the book of Romans, the whole book of Romans is structured on this. First of all, how great our great our sins and misery are. Secondly, how we are delivered from all our sins and misery. And thirdly, how we are to be thankful for this deliverance. There you have the ABC of joyful Christian living. The Holy Spirit, by way of the Word of God, teaches us these three things that we need to know in order to live and die happily in the comfort and joy of belonging to Christ. The Catechism, the Word of God, the Word of God, I should say, likes to do that right here on Sundays. The regular preaching of your pastor. And he likes to teach it to everyone. He likes to, likes to teach it to young and old. It's for children and for grandparents. Never too young to start, never too old to learn a little more. We never graduate from the school of the Holy Spirit until the Lord Himself promotes us to glory. And the three things we need to know fit so beautifully together. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and we realize the misery that we have brought upon our lives for because of our sin, then we flee to Christ for salvation. And having fled to Christ for salvation and having received from Him God's gracious free salvation, then it becomes our desire to serve the Lord out of thankfulness. And as I witness in my life, that I have been saved from my sin and misery. And as I witness in my life fruit being born, a fruitful life beginning to emerge, and thankfulness to God, then I can be very comforted, knowing that Christ is working in me through His Holy Spirit. Then I can, then my comfort just begins to overflow comes from every direction. It comes from confessing my sin. It comes from re- receiving forgiveness. It comes from witnessing in my life the beginnings of fruitfulness and obedience and love for God. Embrace this comfort, beloved. Make it your own by faith in Jesus Christ. Appropriate it. That means make it your property. Make it properly yours. Make it yours. You need not face life alone. 
face life with Christ. You need not face death alone. Face death with Christ. Lean on Him. Depend upon Him. The One who has bought you with His precious blood. The warfare is over. Your sins are covered. Peace awaits you. There is comfort for the people of God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.